Hey guys, I hope everyone's doing fantastic and having a really good day. Um, if you are a regular listener of Crime Time Tea Time, thank you so much for stopping by for another episode. When I first started Crime Time Tea Time, I only knew of two true crime podcasts. So I remember thinking to myself, oh, this will be so much fun. And since everybody loves true crime, it'll be super easy to pick up new listeners. Oh my goodness, I was um, totally wrong. (laughs) I learned that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of true crime podcasts out there. So I mean this when I say, I know there are a gazillion to choose from. So thank you so, so very much for choosing me as one of your go-tos. Now, if you are a new listener of Crime Time Tea Time, same rule applies. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, again, I know there are a gazillion options to pick from, so I'm happy to have you and hope you enjoy today's episode. Okay, just a few quick updates. First, I know you are probably so super sick of hearing me say this, but if you enjoy listening to this podcast and you haven't done so already, I would really, really appreciate it if you could give me a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Um, it could be a super easy Christmas gift to give me. <laughs> Um, second, I just want to say Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, which is actually already over. Um, Happy New Year, whatever it is you celebrate. I hope that you're able to spend lots of virtual time with your friends and family. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. The story I'm going to tell you today is that of a missing person. Of all the different types of true crime stories out there, missing person cases intrigue me hands down the most. However, of all the missing person cases I have covered, there are two that absolutely baffle me. One is the story of Karen Denise Wells. Um, I did a podcast and a TikTok on that, I don't know, a month or so ago. Um, It is not connected to today's story at all, but it is very interesting. So if you haven't already listened to it, check it out when you get a chance. Uh, Today's story is another missing person case that keeps me up at night. There are so many little twists and turns to share. Uh, I'm really excited to, to present this story to you guys. So anyhow, that being said, you know what time it is. If you are ready for a mind-blowing ride, sit back and buckle up, because this is the story of Brian Schaefer. If I were to say to you, describe to me your version of an all-American guy, Brian Schaefer is absolutely who would come to your mind. Brian was a 27-year-old medical student attending Ohio State University. He earned his undergraduate degree in microbiology and from there went on to med school. He was intelligent, down-to-earth, and reliable. Quite frankly, he was everything that you would want in a son. Not that it matters, but it is worth noting that Brian was extremely good-looking as well. On Friday, March 31st, 2006, Brian decided to go out for a night with friends. He had a lot going on in his life at the time. Some of it was exciting and positive, and some of it was honestly really sad and unfortunate. First, let's talk about the positive things that were going on in Brian's life in March of 2006. 
The most basic reason for wanting to go out that night was to kick off spring break. He was a med student and spent the majority of his time studying. So, when he had the chance to unwind and let loose a little bit, he did just that. I mean, no one could blame him for that, right? In addition to needing a break from school, Brian was also getting ready for a trip to Miami. The following Monday, he was going to celebrate the spring break week, so in like two days later. Um, And lastly, not only was he planning on going to Miami for the week, he was also planning on proposing to his girlfriend Alexis while they were there. All these positive things going on at the time, I'm sure made it easy for Brian to want to go out and celebrate that night. Unfortunately, though, not everything was perfect at the time. Just three weeks prior to this, Brian's mom, who he was really close with, had died from bone cancer. Although he was handling it, you know, I mean, as well as expected, he was still trying to navigate this new life without his mom by his side. And just as a side note, if you, like me, have lost a parent that you were close with, it really does not matter how old you are when they pass. It's still not easy. Anyways, The point to take away from this is that Brian had a lot going on at the time. Either way, though, Brian decided to go out that night. He started off pretty innocently by eating dinner with his dad at a nice steakhouse. Now, I've read mixed reports on if Brian's little brother Derek went with them or not. Some articles say yes, Derek was with them. And then others that I've read said that no, it was just Brian and his dad. So... I'm not sure it even really matters either way. I just wanted to point that out since I've read both. Anyhow, after dinner, Brian's dad, whose name is Randy, by the way, went home. At that point, it was around 9 o'clock, and Brian meets up with his friend and old roommate, William Florence, who goes by Clint. So, looking back, Randy, who, remember, is Brian's dad said that Brian seemed exhausted at dinner. He was in medical school. (laughs) I got tongue-tied there. He was in med school, uh, don't forget. So I'm sure there were a lot of late-night study sessions. Randy was going to say something to Brian about it, but he thought to himself, like, hey, Brian is 27 years old. He's a grown adult. He can make his own decisions. So he did not say anything. Let's be honest, though, even if Randy had said something to Brian, Brian most likely would have been like, Dad, stop. I'm fine. Like, chill out. I'm I'm good, you know? So Brian and Clint meet up about 9 o'clock at a bar called the Ugly Tuna Saluna. Clint said that they stopped by several bars that night and had a shot of liquor at each. Around 10 o'clock, Brian called his girlfriend, Alexis. Alexis recalls the conversation as being happy and friendly. She could tell Brian was under the influence because, of course, he had been drinking. But she said he was coherent and making sense. Um, He seemed to be having a really good time. And he told her, I love you. I will talk to you later. Uh, But he did not appear to be under any stress whatsoever. It is important to know, too, that Alexis was not with Brian and Clint that night. She was actually back home in Toledo visiting family. 
So remember, Brian and Alexis were leaving Monday for a trip to Miami for spring break. So Alexis was home visiting family. Around midnight, Brian and Clint meet up with a third friend named Meredith Reed. Meredith was planning on giving the guys a ride back to the Ugly Tuna Saluna, which she did. Now, remember, the Ugly Tuna Saluna was the original bar that the guys had started the night, started the night off at. Our security footage showed Brian, Clint, and Meredith arriving back at the bar at 1.15 a.m. The trio went back into the bar and planned on watching the live band that was there that night. They were going to have one last round and then go home. Somehow they got separated from each other, but Clint and Meredith claimed to have seen Brian talking with the band. I don't know why some people get so worked up about this either. Some of the discussions and like the conversation threads that I've read on this case are really brutal. So people are going after Clint and Meredith stating that they left him alone at the bar. Like, let's remember, Brian was 27 years old. I was married with a baby when I was 27. So all I'm saying is that he wasn't a child. Clint and Meredith may not have been the best friends. I don't know. I'm not friends with them. I can't comment on that. But if they are bad friends, it's certainly not for letting a 27-year-old man wander around a bar to socialize with random people. Um, You know what I mean? That's for sure. So... I would start, like, I think back into college, oh my gosh, and even after college, I would start random drunk conversations by myself with people I didn't know all the time, you know, and it doesn't make that the people, it doesn't make the people I went with bad people, you know, you're just not thinking straight, you have a little liquid courage, if you will. Anyway, okay, so... Before we go any further in the story, there are two very important things I need you to know about this bar. One, to get into this bar, you have to take an escalator up one flight. So it's not at street level. Does that make sense? So you walk into the entrance of the building and then right in front of you are two escalators. One going up and then of course one going down. The one going up is on the far right-hand side towards the, you know, like the edge of the building. And then right next to it is the escalator that you would take to go back down. They're side by side. When you get to the top of the escalator, you make an immediate right and you're at the entrance of the bar, which is the Ugly Tuna Saluna. Hopefully that makes sense to you. If it doesn't, Go onto YouTube and type in Brian Schaefer security footage and you'll see exactly what I mean. The second important thing you need to know is that there are only two doors that lead in and out of the Ugly Tuna Saluna. There is the main door that the general public used and that's the one at the top of the escalator. And then there was this service door which was like a side door. The only thing to know about this other side door slash service door is that it led into a a construction site. Okay, so back to the story. 
The three friends arrive back at Ugly Tuna Saluna at 1.15 a.m. And for 40 minutes, they hang out, drink, socialize, BS, etc. Just like any other group of friends at that point. Um, You know what I mean? Just out having a good time, enjoying the first night of spring break and, you know, whatever. Doing their thing, hanging out, having a good time. At 1.55 a.m., Security footage shows Brian outside of the bar briefly speaking with two women. Now, remember the setup of the bar. So when I say that Brian is standing outside of the bar, he is not outside of the building. He's just outside of the bar. Are you following me? So he was still inside on the second floor of this building. He did not go back down the escalator. To actually exit the building. So this security footage. Shows Brian standing outside of the bar's entrance. Talking to these ladies for just a moment. And then you see he heads back towards the direction of the bar. But here's the thing. He's underneath the security camera. So you can't see him actually physically go back into the bar. It is assumed that is what he does, though, because we're only talking about feet away. Like, we're not talking about a quarter of a mile. I mean, it was probably, I've never been there, so I don't know for sure. But by the looks of the footage, I mean, it's like 10 feet away. So it is assumed that that is what he does, that he goes back into the bar. That is the last time anyone saw Brian Schaefer. What's so crazy about the story is that the bar closed just five minutes later at 2 a.m. At 2 a.m., Clint and Meredith called Brian a few times, but they were unable to get a hold of him. When the bar closed, they waited outside for Brian, but he never came out. They assumed that he had gone home without telling them. I guess he only lived like six blocks away from the bar, so it would not have been a stretch at all for Brian to have walked home. At 2.09 a.m., security camera shows Clint and Meredith together leaving the bar. So, here's a little bit more info to chew on. Apparently, There are more security cameras in Columbus, Ohio, than there are combined in all other major cities in Ohio. That being said, police said it would literally be impossible for Brian Schaefer to have left the bar undetected that night. You know, undetected by the security footage. It is what makes this story so incredible. Unless Brian is somewhere in the walls of that bar, he pulled off the impossible. Now, remember, there was one other entrance to the bar. Here's the thing, though. It led out into a super heavy construction zone. The police said it would have been extremely difficult to navigate sober, let alone when you were heavily intoxicated. To add to the mystery, one of the investigators who worked the case said they could say with, quote, 100% certainty 
Brian Schaefer did not leave the bar using the escalator, which was, you know, the main door, the gen- the door the general public would have used. Okay, so let's talk briefly about the theories that are floating around on what happened to Brian. Theory number one, Brian wanted to start a new life. This theory goes that Brian had this entire night planned out and that he had stashed a change of clothes somewhere in the bar. Then at 1.55 a.m., he re-entered the bar, changed clothes, and slipped out, never to be seen or heard from again. Nobody, not the cops, not his family, or his friends, believe this theory. And I agree, this makes just absolutely no sense. If you want to start a new life, why wait until 1.55 in the morning when you're drunk as hell to do so? It just makes no sense. Also, the most important reason that this theory does not make much sense or doesn't hold any weight is because every single person who entered the bar that night was accounted for when they left. Well, every person except for Brian, of course. So, do you know what I mean? In other words, the cops matched up every person that entered the bar that night um, to every person that left the bar that night. Okay, theory number dose. Um, Brian left through the door that led into the construction site. This theory states that somehow Brian ends up leaving or trying to leave through that side door for whatever reason. Who knows? Maybe the front door was locked and it was, you know, a couple minutes after two and they had locked I I don't know, but the theory says that he left through that side door. We know that there was heavy, heavy construction going on. So the thought is that he potentially being drunk and under the influence, he tripped and fell possibly into a hole. A lot of folks keep saying that he was covered with cement by a construction crew, which is why he was never found by anyone. I'm not sure what the obsession with the cement is. Um, I don't know if they had cement trucks there and that's why people keep referring back to that or if it's just sort of a rumor that got started um, and people, you know, just kind of are going with it. But either way, that's, that's how the theory plays out for that theory. Theory number three, Brian met with foul play. This theory states that Brian left through the construction site And was approached by someone trying to rob him. This makes total sense to me except for one part. The investigators, remember, they swore up and down that they have scoured over the security footage. And he does not exist on the security footage. And they swear that there is not apparently a cubic inch of Columbus, Ohio that is not caught on... um, on camera. Okay. So theory number four is that Brian was attacked in the bar. This theory states that an employee of the bar or possibly one of the band members killed Brian and hid his body somewhere in the bar. 
I don't know. This sounds like we're getting kind of desperate. But, I mean, who knows? Nothing else makes sense, right? So, who's to say that this isn't what happened? I'm not sure how likely this is, though. As police said, this would have, as disturbing as this sounds, um, this would have caused a terrible smell if he were hidden in the walls of the bar. Um, so, the cops don't believe this theory either. This is such a baffling case. And of course, the theories and the what ifs are truly endless. So those four are just kind of the heavy hitters. So when you um, research this case, those are the four that continuously pop up. I would seriously love to hear your thoughts though. What do you guys think? What happened to Brian? Especially if you have a different theory other than those four that we just said, please, 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 you have to, you have to let me know what you think. All right. So Brian's dad, Randy, and his girlfriend, Alexis, call Brian all weekend. And of course, we're not able to get in touch with him. The original thought was kind of like, ha ha ha. He's super hungover. He's just sleeping it off. Um, but he's fine. But when Saturday night kind of rolls around, people were starting to wonder what was going on. Why haven't we heard from him? By Sunday morning, his girlfriend, Alexis, is very, very worried and very concerned. And remember, now they're supposed to be leaving the next day to go to Miami. But by Sunday night, she was freaking out. I mean, she was desperate for for answers and to get in touch with him. What made everyone go into an all-out, full-on panic mode, though, was by Monday morning. So again, they were supposed to catch that plane to Miami for the week to celebrate spring break. As one last, last desperate measure of hope, and this literally breaks my heart in half when I even say this. Alexis packed her little bag and went to the airport, um, hoping just by the grace of God that Brian would show up and have some, you know, funny reason that he hadn't been able to be gotten in touch with or whatever the case is. God love her. She sat there and waited for him to show up. When he didn't show up for the flight, Alexis and Brian's dad, Randy, called the police to report him as a missing person. So what happened to Brian Schaefer that night? How does someone walk into a bar and never come back out? During the investigation, police asked certain people to take a polygraph. Brian's dad, Alexis, and Meredith agreed, took it, and passed. Clint was asked to take it, but refused. Now, a lot of people looked at this as an admission of guilt, but Clint denies knowing anything about Brian's whereabouts or what happened to him. And I'll be honest, I know, like, don't get me wrong, it does sound suspicious, no doubt. But I have always, always, always been told two things when you are in potential legal trouble. One is to lawyer up immediately, um, and it does not matter if you're innocent or guilty. And two, I have always been told you are never, ever, ever supposed to take a polygraph, even if you are totally innocent. 
So my point is that Clint may be a gazillion percent innocent and is just following these same two rules that I had always been taught. So I don't know. Who knows? Um, Police search high and low for Brian. They search every tip, every lead for months and months and months, and there were no updates at all. Just when all hope seemed to be lost, Brian's girlfriend, Alexis, calls the investigator with a major lead. She says that every single night since Brian's disappearance, she would call his cell phone just to hear his voice. Of course, he wouldn't answer and it would go right to voicemail, but at least she could hear his voice. Well, in September, so six months after his disappearance, she called his phone like she did every other night, and to her shock, the phone did not go to voicemail. It rang three times. Can you freaking imagine? She must have been so confused and happy and scared and excited and all these feelings all at once. He did not answer, but it rang, and that was reason enough for her to call the police. Police investigated the incident and learned that the phone pinged off a cell phone tower that was 14 miles away. The police contacted Singular, who was the cell phone company he used, and they said they thought that it was a computer glitch, but they could not be 100% certain. Uh, WTF Singular. Figure this one out. You, You know what I mean? I am pretty relaxed about things in general, um, but we think would not cut it for me in this situation. You know what I mean? Like, gonna need you to be sure about this one, singular. (laughs) Anyway, okay. So, unfortunately, that is the last credible lead that we have on the whereabouts of Brian Schaefer. What's so sad is that not only is that... Not only was that like absolutely horrible news, but the bad news for the Schaefer family just kept on coming. Sadly, in September of 2008, Brian's father, Randy, was cleaning up his yard after a nasty storm. And from seemingly out of nowhere, a tree branch fell and fatally wounded him. Is that not so sad? My heart breaks for Brian's little brother, Derek. This poor guy lost his entire immediate family in just a year and a half. Two of them, his mom and Brian, of course, he lost within three weeks of each other. Another small lead presented itself when someone posted, quote, Dad, I love you, Brian, on Randy's online obituary. Um, and then I guess in parentheses, he put, or whoever this person was put us Virgin islands, like acting like that's where he had sent it from. Um, the police looked into this and it was determined to be a hoax. Uh, it is worth noting also that Brian's bank account, credit card, social security number had not been used since that night in March when he went missing. Um, Beside that one cell phone incident where it rang three times for Alexis, it has not been used either. And we don't even know if it was actually used that night, but you know what I'm getting at. 
So, it has been 15 years since Brian Schaefer has disappeared. Someone out there knows what happened to this man. If you are that person that can help close this mystery, please, please contact the Central Ohio Crime Stoppers at 877-645-8477. Again, 877-645-8477. Thank you so much for listening, guys. And remember your ABCs. Be aware of your surroundings. Be brave if you're uncomfortable. And be careful. Bye, guys. Have a very Merry Christmas.